and Imam al-Nawawi was a famous Imam of the Madhab al-Shafi'iyya, but he wasn't limited by that. His fiqh-wise, he was limited, but when it came to hadith, everyone obviously accepts and honors Imam al-Nawawi no matter what Madhab they're from. And that's because he was a great scholar of hadith. Interesting story about Imam al-Nawawi is that um, one time a very big sheikh was traveling and he funded a new madrasa. Madrasa, not only that, you know, now we have Tahfidh al-Quran and uh, Islamic studies separate, but in the, before, a long time ago, 600, 700 years ago, Tahfidh al-Quran, memorizing the Quran, as well as Islamic studies, as well as even other sciences used to all happen in one thing called madrasa. So he decided to make Sadaqah Jariyah, this big sheikh. He had a lot of money and he was also somewhat of an alim. Uh, if he was alive today, we would consider him the biggest mufti, sheikh of sheikh. But at that time, everyone was an alim, so he wasn't that big of a deal. So this alim, he, create, alim, he created this madrasa, and he went in there, and he found something that a lot of us sitting here, were going to laugh when we hear it, because it sounds familiar. He went in there, he saw the teachers lazy, not really teaching, he saw the students always avoiding studies, they, he saw that the money was clearly not going to maintenance, everyone is doing nothing. Um, as, as sometimes you can see the situation. So for example, when I studied in Jamiat um, al-Qura, which is, by the way, one of the best universities, I don't want to say anything negative about it. But generally, imagine if this Jamiat al-Qura is one of the best Islamic studies universities in the Muslim world, and the professors, it's, it's regular to expect them to come late. So if you guys have an issue with me coming late, probably imagine what caused me to learn that culture of coming late. <laughs> I'm not blaming them, obviously I take my own sins, if I'm late that's my fault, I should fix that. But anyways, so the same situation that we see in these Muslim countries was happening uh, 700 years ago and this guy who was giving so much sadaqah, he said, maybe I should stop giving sadaqah to this madrasa. Till he opened the door, so he's seeing all the kids running around, teachers not caring, everyone. He opened the door and he saw one little nerd, he saw one little nerd, cute young boy, probably at the age somewhere from 10 to 13. And the boy was, had books upon books and he was studying, all on his own. No, the professors didn't care, they weren't care, you know, the teachers they didn't care, the students didn't care. But he saw this boy locked up in a room studying. He said, he was literally about to decide to cancel funding for this madrasa, he was going to destroy it. He said, this kid saved your madrasa. And he, he decided to keep funding it for that kid. That kid was Imam al-Nawawi, rahimahullah So. That's Imam al-Nawawi, he got 40 hadith, he collected them together, and he basically decided that there are so many ahadith. So what we need to do is find all the ahadith that are sahih, number one, and number two, that can benefit ammat al-nas, average people, and teach them the basics of the deen. I'm not going to bring a hadith about, for example, about a type of trade, because we have tijara in Islam, they're different types. There's so many different types of uh, economic transactions that are dealt with in fiqh and in sharia al-islamiyya. So Imam al-Nawi said, I'm not going to go into the details, al-fari'iyyat and these small details. I'm going to focus on al-kulliyyat to guide Muslims generally. And that is actually the background of this hadith, the last hadith. Imam al-Nawi did not include it because Imam al-Nawi had 40 hadith. And this, our author here, Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali, decided to add 10 more that might fit in. So this is the last hadith. Ibn Rajab uh, al-Hanbali, rahimahullah ta'ala, added. He said, 
عن عبد الله بن يسر قال أتى النبي صلى الله عليه أتى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم رجل فقال يا رسول الله إن شرائع الإسلام قد كثرت علينا فباب نتمسك به جامع قال لا يزال لسانك رطبا من ذكر الله خرجه الإمام أحمد بهذا اللفظ. So notice it say it didn't say uh, uh, خرج it said خرج بشدة because uh, that means he did a lot of research and he looked at all of the asnad. We're not going to get into the details of that. Let's translate the hadith. Abdullah bin Yusuf is the Sahabi, and this hadith, by the way, is Rawahu Aivan al Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah, Ibn Habban, and Kadalik al Hakim, and Saha, and Wafiq, and Zahabi, and Tirmidhi hadith on Hassan al Gharib. So when you hear the word Gharib, don't be scared. Gharib just means that instead of having multiple paths, which I taught you guys, those who were attending the Dafs, the Oda, and Medina, you remember that there's many paths. So Gharib means that the paths are kind of less, the Tawatr is less. So there's no Tawatr, okay? And there's a lot of detail about what Gharib means. Maybe one Sahabi was the only one, and we don't need to get into those details. The point is just realize Gharib means that it's not a very popular hadith. But that doesn't mean it's not Sahih. The hadith says a man came to Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and said, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, indeed the, the rules of Islam, the shara'i' of Islam, became too much for us. They're too much for us to handle. There are too many rules, too many advice, too many things. So give us just like one chapter or one thing to focus on that we can hold, we can hold on to, that is jami'un. Jami'un means inclusive of everything that needs to be exclusive. Included, sorry. Inclusive of everything that needs to be included. Jami'un. What's the opposite of jami'un? Mani'un. Jami' is inclusive of everything that needs to be included. Mani'un is restrictive and exclusive of everything that needs to be excluded. Mana' means to ban someone from doing something. Jami' is like the masjid, you know, the Arabs they say, Ruhd al-Jami'. Jami' because it calls everyone, the masjid brings everyone, it's inclusive. Jami'un. University is al-Jami'ah because, you know, it's inclusive of all the classes. So then Rasulullah responded, لا يزال لسانك رطبا من ذكر الله This is where the English language is weak. But I'm going to translate and then I'll show you how the English language is weak. So Rasulullah responded, Make sure that your tongue is constantly doing dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let's quickly do a few lessons and then we'll start taraweeh. Lessons from this hadith. Fawaid had al-hadith. Awalan, that this man complained to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said, إِنَّ شَرَاعِعَ الْإِسْلَامِ قَدْ كَثُرَتْ عَلَيْنَا Indeed, the sharia and the laws is too much for us. كَثُرَتْ عَلَيْنَا It's too much of a burden, too much of a responsibility, and too much of a confusion. There's a lot to take, take in. Oftentimes, the people who used to be like straightforward with the Prophet Muhammad were أعراب So, جَاءَ Those are Bedouins. Why were they able to do that? First of all, we as, as Tullab al-Ilm, as students of Hadith, and inshallah, hopefully we can be ulama of Hadith, some of us, not obviously it's impossible for everyone, but some of us inshallah can be ulama of Hadith. For us, we love it when we hear the Bedouin comes. It's like when you hear the Bedouin comes, you're like, yes, he's going to be brutally honest, the Sahabi are shy, the Sahabi are scared, the Arabi is just going to say whatever he feels. But with respect. Unfortunately, sometimes the respect was a lot less. Ya Muhammad. 
There's many hadith that Ja'a Arabi and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Ya Muhammad, Alimni, Ya Muhammad Ismir, Shaykh Ismir is nodding his head because he knows this Rama of hadith knows this So they would say, Ya Muhammad Who's not Nabi, not Rasul, not Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam But this shows the beauty of Allah Azza wa Jal and the beauty of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam They knew these are Arab, Arabi, not educated, they're farmers So it's okay So that's one lesson we should learn Someone else is giving a speech too. Okay. So that's one lesson we learn. That just calm down, chill. Who should be the most respected? Rasulullah. But the Sahaba also knew, you know, these Arabi, they're not educated, they're farmers, they're Bedouin. That's okay. So the, with sabr comes benefits. Because the Sahabi, the Ashab had sabr, they were able to hear what does this crazy Arabi have to ask. And the Arabi was not scared to say, Ya Nabi Allah, I can't take this. Inna shara'i al-Islami qad kathurat alayna. Can Abu Bakr ever say this? Umar Abu Bakr No, they've never said anything similar that I know. Wallahu a'lam. But from what I've read, the main Ashab al-Nabi did not say in this format. Inna shara'i al-Islami qad kathurat alayna. So as a lesson also for Tullab al-Ilm. All of, you know, many of us here are Tullab al-Ilm, including myself. The lesson is when someone comes up to you and says, oh bro, there's too many, too many things in Islam, too much confusion, too... you have to listen to them. Even though you know he's wrong. You know he's wrong. Because once you study something, you'll be less afraid of it. Once you study and go into detail, you'll be less afraid of it and you know how its scope, you know how deep it is, you know how wide it is. Inna al-islam alayna. So the fawait, if you have a question, ask. This is one benefit we learned. This Arabi was not shy and he asked. But we don't have to be like Arab and say, Ya Muhammad. <laughs> we should have a little more respect because we're educated, alhamdulillah. So, Notice this Arabi, or this, he might not be Arabi, but this person who's very honest, he didn't say that it's just too much and stop. He said, Oh no, he didn't say, Ya Muhammad, this is too much. No. He said, There's, This is too much. So tell me one thing that I can focus on. So this shows it's not just laziness. It's not just, uh, you know, I, distaste for sharia. Because we're also Muslim love sharia. At least the pure form of sharia. But it shows that he had some difficulty. And then he said, please give me one thing that I can. And then look at the word natamassak. Natamassak means to hold on tight. Or to hold on. He didn't say babun He didn't use another verb. He said natamassak, which shows that he's saying, "I'm willing to make the effort. I'm willing to make the effort to work hard as long as it is just one thing that can kind of guide all of my Islam." So Rasulullah said, "La yazalu." This is where the English English language is slightly weak to translate this. So uh, zala means it ceased to exist. Cease means to stop. Zala. So that's why zawal, zawal al-ni'm, ni'mah is blessing, zawal al-ni'm is you lose your blessings. That is when you're not thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why you should always say alhamdulillah. So la, la yazal, la yazal means it continues. It continues. So Nabi Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said it continues, your tongue moist, wet from the mention of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. See, in English, this doesn't make sense. So what he's saying is, your tongue should be moving so much with dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that it's wet, ratban. It's fresh. Ratban min dhikrillah. 
and the verb that was used to describe the time is layazal, meaning it kept going and going and going and going and going. Layazalu lisanuka ratban min dhikrillah. So the lesson we learn is that if we get confused about all these rules and laws, let's take, let's pause, take a step back and say, what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create us for? قال الله عز وجل في سورة الذاريات وما خلقت الجن والإنس إلا ليعبدون يعبدون I haven't created human mankind or jinn except for one purpose that they worship يعبدوني that's actually the word but يعبدون because we pause وما خلقت الجن والإنس إلا ليعبدوني though that they can worship me and then ما أريد منهم الرزق Allah سبحانه وتعالى said I don't want any money from them وما أريد أن يطعمون I don't want them this food or anything nothing وما أريد أن يطعمون إن الله هو الرزاق ذو القوة المتين. الله سبحانه وتعالى is الرزاق. He's the one who gives. So when we do ذكر, Allah سبحانه وتعالى does not benefit from that. It's just us who benefit. We benefit. So when we get confused about all the rules and laws, we need to go back to the basics. So for example, when you're doing wudu and you're confused, oh left hand, right hand, this and that, and maybe Shaytan will do us was why are there so many rules? Then just say astaghfirullah. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم. Continue doing wudu. And, rem- and when, when you take a step back, you realize Al-Kulliyat. Al-Juz'iyat, like Juz of Quran, is parts of Islam. Right? So, like Fiqh al-Wudu, uh, Fiqh al-Tahara, these are all important, very important. But these are Juz'iyat. Kulliyat are holistic messages of Islam. Things that are easy, things that everyone can naturally do. Is it difficult for us just to say, Alhamdulillah? Or, after Salah, ten times, لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد يحيي ويميت وهو حي لا يموت بيده الخير وهو على كل شيء قدير. And you can even do this in a in a in a fun way, in a way that helps your health. Personally, I do breathing exercises. When I do this, I do breathing exercises. This is obviously not from the Quran, not from the Quran or the Sunnah. There are different ways just to connect to your ruhaniyah. So, for example. لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد. This whole time I'm breathing in. لا إله Until يحيي. I breathe in. يحيي. So you can feel like you're coming into life. Obviously, this is what the Salafis would call bid'ah. Okay. But this is these are just different ways to connect with the dhikr. ويميت. Exhale. يحيي ويميت. وهو حي لا يموت. These are just different things. Obviously, it's not. But these are different things you can do. Another thing, for example, if you're driving in the car, you can keep doing tasbih while you're driving. It'll keep you uh, focused on the road. It's not very distracting. I notice reading Quran while you're driving, especially if you're not sure about the surah, it can be difficult. Because you're making mistakes and you're also focusing on driving. But dhikr, there's no mistakes there. It's very easy. Alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar. لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد. There's so many sentences we can say. The Hindus would call this mantras. We in Islam have this as a dhikr. And with the mantras, if you, if anyone read it, I don't know if anyone has read the mantras or they know about mantras. They're from the Veda. They have things that are, you know, very vague. There's, there's no tafsilat. It's very vague. But with dhikr, it's very specific. We're not insulting any religion, obviously. But we're just showing that, alhamdulillah, we're thankful for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that our dhikr is very specific. Alhamdulillah, all praise is to Allah. 
It's not like I am sitting, I am connecting to the higher power. It's very direct. Alhamdulillah. Allahu Akbar. Another thing, when you're going through difficulties to say Allahu Akbar, is very beautiful. Because Allahu Akbar does not mean God is great. It means God, I mean, it can mean that, but it really means God is the greatest. <laughs> Sorry for over-pronouncing. And God is greater. Greater than what? The sentence is incomplete. Which means greater than anything you can imagine. Allahu Akbar than anything compared to anything. So for example, if I was to say I'm older than him, I'd say an akbar min in Arabic. Ana akbaru min. I'm older than him. But with Allahu Akbar, you don't say Allahu Akbar min. There's nothing after that. Because Allahu Akbar from everything. So when you're going through difficulty, when you're going through sadness, when you're going through this, say Allahu Akbar. Right? Unfortunately, the same thing I mentioned about propaganda last class, I'm mentioning again about propaganda. The most fearful word currently in, in any language is Allahu Akbar. They did a survey of what, what sentence is the scariest for human beings, Muslims, non-Muslims, uh, mostly non-Muslims probably, and they chose Allahu Akbar as the scariest. This is propaganda. And it's not propaganda from kuffar only, it's propaganda from our own khawarij too. From the people who claim to be Muslim and do evil actions. When really, this is not what Allahu Akbar is about. Allahu Akbar is not about Qumbala. <laughs> Allahu Akbar is not about bombs. Allah, Allahu Akbar is not about that. Allahu Akbar is simply Allah is greater than everything. And that shouldn't make people scared. It should make people happy. Why? I have a problem and nothing is greater than my problem. Oh wait, there is something greater than my problem. There is someone greater than my problem. And that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So instead of having Allah Akbar as a scary thing, it should be a beautiful thing. And the lessons we learned from this hadith is our tongues should always be complete mentioning the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In Ramadan, it's not good to curse. It's not good to say bad words. So instead, try to replace them with good words. That's what I've been trying to do. I, I unfortunately started cursing a little more. So I said, stop. I told myself it's Ramadan. And hopefully with this, I also stop cursing in my normal life. And everyone should do that. I'm sure all of you, if, if some of you don't curse, then some of you lie. If some of you don't lie, then some of you do ghiba. Some of you don't do ghiba, then some of you uh, I talk, I don't know, say like inappropriate things. Whatever it is, each and every one of us have something with our tongue that is wrong. And this Ramadan, let's fix that. Replace whatever is wrong with Alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah wahda wa la sharika lahu lahu al-mulku wa lahamdiyahi wa yameet wa hayyun la yamut. Biyadil khayr wa ala kulli shayin qadir. These are some sentences we can say. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Azim wa nafa'ni wa iyaakum bihadi al-Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.